If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Find the New Testament. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in chapter 4, verse 7 in just a moment. Uh, As you're turning there, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We thank you for your presence. Uh, We we can't do this Christian life stuff on our own. Uh, We need you. And so we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you that you, you promised to lead us in truth. You promised to guide us in truth. Uh, you promised to, to reveal Jesus to us. And so we ask you to do that this morning, Lord. For, for those that are that, that here that, are, that know you and for those that are here that don't know you, uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that your work would continue this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in a series called The Life. Uh, As John Barker just mentioned before he prayed, uh, we are encouraging our congregation to get more engaged in scripture reading during the year. And so on weekends, we've we've shifted away from topical studies. Uh, In other words, just studying topics of life as as the Bible applies to those things. And we're going to book studies, which means we're just going kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter uh, through the book of John. Uh, And so today we're going to be in in, in chapter four in just a minute. How, How many of you feel like, you, you, your soul has holes. And what I mean by that is you, you, you experience moments of joy or peace or elation or happiness or love or, or something, but it doesn't, it doesn't really last. It, it's sort of like your, your soul has holes and you, you experience great times of, of joy and gladness and those things in your life, but it, it just doesn't last. And so you keep going back and you keep trying to find new ways to fill it again, new ways to find happiness and love and peace in your life. But as quickly as you, you do that, it, it just seems to leak out. What are you, what are you seeking to, to fill your soul with? Um, what if, what if we could experience joy and peace and love and fulfillment and meaning and purpose in life that lasted, that, that, that didn't leak out of our lives? What if, what if there was a, a constant source of inflow in our lives and we, we experienced not just fullness, but overflow? What if it never stopped? It'd be annoying, wouldn't it? Hey, be awake there. <laughs> what? what if it not only filled your life, but somehow it could overflow into the people around you? What if the overflow of peace and joy and love and kindness and fulfillment and satisfaction in your life not only didn't leak out, And not only were you full, but you were regularly full to overflow. And in the world that we live in, what if they could be drenched with the life that flows out of you? You know, it's probably the difference between a cistern and a spring. You're going, I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about, Jeff. Let me, let me explain the difference. So most of the stories in the Bible, in fact, the, the context of the Bible is the desert. It's the Middle East. And, and in the desert, the most valuable commodity you have is water. 
Water is the source of life. No water, no life. No human life, no plant life. Without water, there is no life. And so the people of Israel, the people in the desert understood that. They, they, they were desperate for water. And it didn't rain all the time. And so they, they got their water from a couple of ways. One was from an underground spring. Uh, if, you, if you dug down deep enough, you, you might be able to find an underground river or spring. And if you dug down deep enough and tapped into that, it would, it would become a well or a spring, a fountain that would flow and provide water. Well, that, that wasn't always the case. They couldn't always find those underground rivers. And so at times they were dependent not only on the possibility of a river, but on a cistern. A, a cistern essentially was an underground water tank. They, they, would, they would dig this huge hole in the ground and then they would seal it with some type of plaster, maybe from limestone or some type of clay. And they would seal that, that, that hole and then they would cover its mouth with a stone so that the sunlight didn't get in and grow algae in the water so that it remained somewhat pure. And so they could, they could have water not only, and the way they gathered that was they, they would have little reservoirs or chutes leading into the into the cistern, that when it rained, it would fill up the, the water tank, and they could have water as long as that lasted. The problem with cisterns is that over time, either because of change of extreme temperatures, hot or cold, or the shifting of the ground, those cisterns would crack, the plaster would crack, the clay would crack, and suddenly that water that was you know, in there being stored for a day when they needed it, would, would leak through and be wasted. Now, Jeremiah took that picture of, of the desperate need for water and those two types of sources, uh, an underground spring and a cistern, and he talked about the condition of people's hearts. Here's what he said in Jeremiah. God said this in Jeremiah chapter 2, 13. My people have committed two sins. First, they have forsaken or rejected me, the fountain or the spring of living water. What I just told you, this unending underground spring that if they tapped into it, it became a well that gave life to them. You've rejected me, the spring of living water, and you have dug for yourselves cisterns, actually broken cisterns that can't hold water. So he's saying that the, that the people of God had had one of two hearts, one of two souls, either one with a, a fountain in it or one with a broken cistern. And each of you have one of those two things. You either have a spring of life inside of you or you have a, a broken cistern. So in this story in John chapter 4, that's what we're going to see. This woman from Samaria encounters Jesus at a well and has a conversation with him. She has a broken cistern in her soul. And Jesus wants to give her a living spring. Let's read the story together in John chapter 4. But let me, let me give you a little background here as we, as we begin this story. So we left off with... Jesus and his disciples and John the Baptist and his disciples in the rural areas outside of Jerusalem in Judea. They were baptizing people. Uh, there was a need for them to return from Judea in the south to Galilee in the far north of Israel. 
And so they began the journey. Well, because they, the text doesn't tell us why, they were in a hurry to get there. And normally Jews, because they were in a little bit of a feud with the Samaritans, they would normally just go around Samaria and not even go through it. In this case, they were in a hurry and they went, they went straight through Samaria. So Jesus and his disciples are traveling quickly. They're trying to get back to Galilee, their hometown. And as they travel through, the sun's getting hot. It's the heat of the day. It's about noon. And so they stop in a city called Sychar, where Jacob's well. Now, the, 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 the forefathers of the faith in, in Israel, Abraham was the father of the faith. His son was Isaac, and his son was Jacob. So this was a, a historical well in Sychar. It's Jacob's well. And they're traveling through. Jesus stops. They stop at this well. Jesus sits there. The disciples go into the town to try to buy food. And while Jesus is sitting at this well, Jacob's well, in Samaria, a Samaritan woman approaches them. And we pick it up in verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water from this well. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan and a woman? And you have really nothing to draw with, Jesus. How is it that you ask me? And then John gives us this little parenthetical statement. He says to the audience, to us who may not know, for, for Jews and Samaritans have no dealings together. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys. There's this generational feud going on between the Jews in Samaria and the Jews in the south in Jerusalem. Let me, let me tell you just some reasons why that was. After King Solomon died and lost his rulership, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. One of the kingdoms remained in the north area, and they were called Israel. But, but some Jews went south, uh, the tribes of Benjamin and, Judah, uh, Benjamin and Judah went south, and they took the name Judah. Well, because of wickedness and disobedience to God, the northern tribe of Israel went into captivity to a nation called Assyria. Uh, 150 years later, the same thing happened to Judah, but they went into captivity in Babylon. Well, while the, the northern Jews were in Assyria, uh, they began to assimilate into the Assyrian context. They, they began to do things that God told them in the law they shouldn't do. They began to intermarry. The men began to marry Assyrian women. They also not only continued to worship Yahweh, the, the Jewish God, but they embraced many of the Assyrian gods so that they began to worship idols. Well, after the southern kingdom of Judah went into Babylon, when they got out of Babylon and went back to Jerusalem, they were rebuilding their temple. Some of the Jews from the north in, in Samaria came down, just good faith gesture, and said, we want to help you rebuild your temple. And the Jews in the South said, ah, thanks, but no thanks. You half-breeds, you compromisers, you sinners. We don't want anything to do with you. We're not going to let you put your hands on something that's holy. How many of you that didn't sit well with those guys? They were just completely humiliated as they went down to, to give a help in building the temple. So they went back up north, and they built their temple on Mount Gerizim. And they said, this is where God lives. The Jews in the south rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, and they said, no, this is where God lives. That's the feud that we're walking into here, and John tells us they don't really get along too well, and it had been going on for years and years. Verse, verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God 
And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay, let me pause there for a second. Three things we need to point out in that verse. First of all, he says, if you knew the gift of God, the gift of God there is a reference to salvation or eternal life or God's blessing. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew God's salvation and eternal life, and if you knew who you were talking to, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the agent, the one who has the authority to give eternal life, if you knew about God's eternal life, and if you knew who you were talking to, Jesus, the one who gives eternal life, you would have asked and, and he would have given you living water. Living water is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the one who brings salvation and brings transformation in our lives. In fact, we're gonna, when we get to John chapter 7, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they have a, a tradition where the priest would take a bucket of water, and he would walk, walk up around the altar, and he would pour it around the altar, and it was a sign of God's blessing on their crops, God's bringing prosperity and renewal to their land. Well, Jesus does it in John chapter 7, and in verse 38, he says, this water represents the Holy Spirit, living water. And so as Jesus talks to this woman, and as we read these verses about living water, just keep in your mind, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit who came to save us and to give us life. Verse 11, she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is very deep. Where then would you get this living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered, and he's going to step up to a different plane, not, not, a, not a physical plane of water, but a spiritual plane of spiritual life. And in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit, shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a wellspring, a river of water, springing up inside to eternal life. And listen to the woman's response. Sir, if it's possible never to thirst again, then give me that water. If there's a way to not have to keep coming to this well over and over and over to find life, I want that. Give me this water so I never thirst again and I don't have to keep working. I don't have to keep striving. I don't have to keep coming back over and over. Lord, sir, give me this water. I want you to think about this, this statement this morning. Without Jesus, life's just another trip to the well. Without Jesus, the source of life, life is just trying to go to the well again and find life somewhere. So what I want to talk about this morning, just for a few minutes, is how can we experience the living water of God's Spirit? How can we experience the living water that Jesus is talking about of the Holy Spirit? And the first thing I want to say is, is this. We have to realize that it's given. It's not earned. This water is given. It's not, it's not earned. One of the themes we're going to see throughout the book of John is the, the superiority of the new covenant as it's opposed to the old covenant. 
the, the old covenant was a covenant or a relationship or an agreement that God made with the people of Israel that was based on works and keeping the law. If they, if they kept the law, the ceremonial law, the moral law, if they followed all the precepts and commands of God, God's blessings would follow. God would accept them. It was all based on works and obedience to the law. The new covenant, on the other hand, is a relationship between God and his people that the prophets told the people about and would be fulfilled in Jesus. The new covenant was a covenant of grace, no more works. It was a covenant that said God will, God will give this in response to faith, in response to believing in who the Messiah is. God will pour out his favor and his grace and will save you. One is a covenant or an agreement of works, and one is based on grace that you can't earn and you don't deserve. Jesus, throughout the book of John, is, is constantly talking about the superiority of the new covenant compared to the old. So in John chapter 2, we're going to get to it later because we're, we're, we skipped that chapter because we, we're going to look at seven signs and miracles of Jesus in, at a different time. But there's a wedding in a, in a village called Cana in Galilee. And in that story, if you remember when Jesus turned the water into wine, uh, Jesus told the servants, they, they were there and there were six stone water pots that were used for Jewish ceremonial cleansing. It was part of the law. Uh, you had to go through a cleansing for certain things. So Jesus said to them, go fill up these, these Jewish pots with water. And then you remember the story. Jesus changed the water into wine. Jesus is saying the, the law and all of the works and everything in that, in that old covenant is inferior to the new covenant. And, and Jesus transformed that water into, into wine and said that God wants to transform your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant's better than the old. In chapter 3, Jesus talks to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Jewish leader. Nicodemus represents the law. He represents the old covenant. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you have to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born again. You have to be born from above. You have to be changed on the inside. New covenant, far better than the old covenant. And here in John chapter 4, he's got this conversation with a woman. And this woman is at Jacob's well. Jacob's well represents the law. It, it represents the, the, the old covenant. And she keeps going back over and over, trying to fulfill the law, trying to do the good works, trying to, to keep her life right. And Jesus is saying, the new covenant's better. I want to give you living water, not the water of works and the old covenant. Here's what he says in verse 10. Jesus replied to her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. I, I want to point out three words that I've emboldened there in that text. The first is gift. Gifts aren't earned. You, you don't deserve a gift. Gifts, gifts are free. They're given, not, not because you did anything special, but, but to bless you. And, and the gift of God's salvation is not something you earn. It's something you're given. And that verse goes on. And he says, if you, if you knew who it was who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have what? Asked. That's all we can do in the new covenant is ask. Ask for his grace. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask for his mercy. We don't deserve it, but it's by grace. So we ask for it. And he would have given you living water freely. So, so the, the problem here is this, this woman, as she, as she thinks through the concept of Old Covenant, New Covenant, and this, this living water, the, the living water is by grace. But she was disqualified by the law. 
If you were to read ahead in, the, in this chapter, we will next week, and, and Jesus begins to uncover some things in her life. She was, she was living that day in sexual sin. She was living with someone outside of marriage. As you go through this, you can just check all the, the laws she was breaking in the Old Covenant. Sexual sin. She'd been married five times and divorced. And God held marriage in, in a sacred place, and she had just treated it almost like it didn't matter. And so there's another check on the box. Well, as part of that, that, that group of Samaritan Jews, she was worshiping idols. That's commandment one through four she was violating. She, she is disqualified on the basis of the works of the law. She did not deserve this living water. She did not deserve the Holy Spirit. She did not deserve eternal life. But thank God for the new covenant, amen? It's a covenant of grace. And Jesus says to her, because of grace, you qualify. Because of grace, you're accepted. You don't have to keep trying to earn this and, and keep the law. It's the law of grace and mercy. And she realized that this water, this salvation, this Holy Spirit that God was going to give, she couldn't buy it. It couldn't be purchased. It couldn't be earned. It was just given freely. And we just accept it freely. John, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, says this. The Holy Spirit and the bride, that's the church, right now, as we wait for the return of Christ, the Holy Spirit and the bride say to Jesus, come back quickly, amen, Lord? Come, Lord Jesus. What a mess we're in. Lord, just come today, right? Man, if you're feeling that and you're a Christian, that's the Holy Spirit in this verse saying, Jesus, come on back, we're ready for you. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears this message of truth and grace, let the one that longs for it, where are we? There we go. Say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires that living water take the water of life, what? Without cost. The offer is always free. It's not without cost to Jesus because it costs Jesus' life. Have you ever gotten anything free from someone? It's, it's never free. They always paid for it. They had to make a sacrifice for you to have something at no cost. And Jesus paid the price of your salvation, but it's given to you freely by grace. So she, she qualifies on the basis of grace to receive the Holy Spirit, and so do you. You qualify for the new covenant, not because you keep the law, but because of the love of God and the gift of grace that he offers to us. Well, not only is this gift for those that, that for the first time are receiving Christ, not only does he give the Holy Spirit to those who, who say, Lord, I want that living water and receive that living water, but that living water, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is still available to us Christians. Come on, somebody. Even if you're not perfect. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 and 5. He says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit at conversion, at salvation, because of works of the law or by faith? You heard the message and you received, which was it? Did God give you the Holy Spirit because you perfectly kept the law? No, you, you were disqualified. You didn't keep the law. It was on the basis of grace. So you came into salvation, you received the Holy Spirit for the very first time by grace. But listen to what he says in verse 5. 
So then, does he, God who provides you with the Holy Spirit and works miracles among you, continues to do supernatural things among you, continues to show his power in your life, you continue to see the work of God in your life over and over, he continues to work miracles. Does he do it by works of the law? Does he do it because you're perfect? Does he do it because you deserve it? Does he do it because you're such a good person? Or does he do it through grace by faith? I don't know about you. That's pretty good news to me, that God's going to continue to work by the Holy Spirit in my life, even though I'm less than perfect, even though I I fall short of the standard of the law, even though I'm disqualified by that standard. Jesus fulfilled that standard so I could reap the benefits of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. You're not disqualified, Christian, because you're not perfect, because you make mistakes, because you sin. Paul says it's because of faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit wants to work in you. Amen. Well, not, not only is this, is this given and not earned, but it's constant and not temporary. This, this gift of the Holy Spirit, we can experience the Holy Spirit. It's, it's constant. It's not, it's not temporary. If you, have a, if you have a broken cistern in your soul today, it's for one of two reasons. It's either because you don't know Jesus Christ. It's, it's either because you've never been forgiven of your sin. You've never received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and for the very first time, been, been given this gift of life. That could be one group of people. The other group of people, if you have a, a broken cistern in your soul, you may know the Lord but you continue to try to fill your life with other things. You continue to try to find joy and peace and satisfaction and fulfillment and life and love in other places, not in Christ. In that case, just like the Jeremiah passage, you've you've rejected God and you've built for yourself a cistern where you can fill it with all the things that you want to to use to, to fill your life with joy, but it's broken and it'll never satisfy It'll never, it'll never fill you and it'll never overflow in your life to other people. If you have a broken cistern, either you don't know Jesus Christ or you're not trusting him with your life. You're not seeking him to fill your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in verses 13 and 14. He answered her and said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, listen, shall never be thirsty That's a pretty bold statement. If you continue to go to the well on your own, continue to seek out ways to fill your soul, you're going to remain thirsty. It'll never satisfy. On the other hand, the the water that I give, the gift of the Holy Spirit that I give, if you drink of God's salvation, it'll satisfy. You'll never be thirsty again. It will become in him a fountain or a spring of water springing up to eternal life. So it's an easy question this morning. What are you seeking to fill your life? What are you seeking to fill your tank? Where are you going for joy and for peace and for fulfillment and for love and for satisfaction and for courage and strength in your life? Where where are you turning? What what are you seeking out? Are you seeking out money to give you that sense of peace? 
Are you trying to find joy in relationships or in sex or in your job or in, in relationships with people or in drugs or in alcohol? What are, you, what are you seeking to fill your life? It's an easy question. Where are you trying to find life? My, my sophomore year of high school through my freshman year of college, I, I was as depressed, lonely, insecure, unhappy, discouraged, dark, trying to fill my life with things that would somehow fill me. And one of those was alcohol. And I would, I would seek that out. And I, w- I, would have, I would have moments of joy. Like, like I would feel like pretty good about myself. Me and my friends would be out drinking and be like, yeah, yeah, buddies for life. I mean, we're rule the rule, we're, <laughs> rule the world, something like that. And then I'd wake up the next morning, and not only had it all leaked out, but I was in a worse state. I felt more guilty, more shame, more darkness, more broken, more lonely, hated myself more. What do you trying to fill your life with. Anything apart from the water of life that Jesus offers is never going to fully satisfy. Someone today is going to be happy with whoever wins the Super Bowl. And you'll wake up tomorrow morning and it'll be all gone. You'll try to find something else to give you a sense of joy and elation and whatever. And it just goes on. And I like the woman, you, you, keep, you keep going back to the well trying to refill, trying to find a new source of life. Jesus recognized she had a broken cistern in her heart, and he wanted to give her a spring. Not not only is this something that's constant and not temporary, the last thing I want to say is it's eternal, internal, not external. So, So like I said when I began, without Jesus... Life, life is just one more trip to the well. Just one more trip to the well. But this, this gift of life, this river, this spring that, that Christ offers us is internal, not external. What that means is it's not based on what's happening around you. It's not based on the circumstances that you're living in. It doesn't matter that our government is going down the toilet. It doesn't matter today. Your joy, your peace, your love, your hope is not based on what's happening circumstantially, even in your country. It's not based on your marriage right now. It's not based on that relationship that's weird right now. It's not based on the economy right now. It's not based on the fact that you're lonely and you don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You don't have any hope of marriage. It's not based on any of that. It's internal, not external. This gift of life has nothing to do with what you're going through. This gift of life wells up inside of you. Here's what Jesus said. Verse 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. But the water that I will give him will become in him. Say in him. Or her. Say in her. What will it become? A fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Where is it? It's inside of you. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. Your source of hope and life and peace and joy and comfort and goodness is found in the Holy Spirit who is in you now if you're a Christ follower. 
So that, that, that word there where it says spring up, I think it's springing up, that, that's, a, that's a Greek participle, and it's in the present tense. The present tense means the action is continuous. This work of the Holy Spirit inside of you is nonstop. It's inside and it's constant. There's a constant welling up of the life of God's Spirit inside of you. That word, that participle, is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used here. It's used in Acts chapter 3 when, when Peter and John heal a beggar at the temple. And it says that that beggar gets up and he goes into the temple and it says he was walking and leaping and praising God. Leaping and praising God. Same word. Well up is like leaping inside of you. It's used the third time in Acts chapter 14. Peter healed a guy that, that was either paralyzed from the waist down, but he didn't have use of his, of his legs. And it says he healed him, and, and he reached out and he grabbed him, and it says the man jumped up with renewed strength. His legs had been healed. He jumped up. He leaped in the temple and praised God, and this spring wells up inside. There's a sense of power in that word. It's continuous. It's filled with power. And the third thing is that participle is in the middle voice, which simply means the action originates with the object. You don't create this, amen? God creates this. It happens within itself. The Holy Spirit, through the power of God, continues to well up in you with this incredible power. You don't cause it. All you do is harness it. I'll get back to that. So, so this woman, spiritually speaking, she becomes the well. She no longer has to go to the well. She becomes the dwelling place of the river of life. She doesn't have to go to the well anymore to draw because the well is in her. Come on, someone. The well's inside of her. So she doesn't have to keep going out and trying to find new sources to fill her. She's being filled powerfully, consistently by the Holy Spirit rising up within. I just don't feel strong enough. Well, you aren't strong enough, but you've got a power greater than you living inside of you. I'm, I just don't know what to do. That's right, you don't know what to do. But the wisdom of God in the Holy Spirit is continually rising up in you to tell you what to do. I just can't overcome this sin. You're right, you can't overcome the sin. But the Spirit of God in you gives you the, all the power that you need to rise above your sin. Everything you need is found in the fountain of living water, everything. Paul said this about the Holy Spirit. Since we are living by the Holy Spirit, in other words, we, we've gotten life through the Spirit, and now the Spirit guides us. He says, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You don't generate the strength. You don't generate the power. You just ride it, like surfing. All you do, that's right. All you do, that's real too. That ain't Photoshop, baby. All you do, when you don't know what to do or how to do it, you break out your board and you ride the wave of God's power in your life. You ride the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. You ride the, ride the strength of the Holy Spirit. You ride what God is doing in your life. You don't generate it. It's a gift of God. And it's constantly rising up in your life. And we do lack everything that we need to be, everything God wants us to be, but God gives us the Spirit to make up for our lack. It's all in you. 
If you have a broken cistern today that's leaking out, it's for one of two reasons. You don't know Jesus Christ and you don't have the, liver, uh, the, the, the river of life living in you or you've chosen to try to find another source. Because Jesus says, I don't want you to keep going to the well over and over again. I don't want you to keep thirsting. I want to satisfy your soul. And I want to give you everything you need. Stand with me this morning if you would. I just get all fired up when I hear stuff like this. Come on, Lord. Until you come back, just fill us with your power, amen? Until you come back, thanks for giving us everything we need to be everything you've called us to be. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord this morning. If you're here today and you've, you've never accepted Christ, this is your moment. This is your moment to say, Jesus, I'm dry, I'm lonely, I'm cracked, I'm unfulfilled, I, I'm a sinner, and I need the, the, the living water of your forgiveness and the living water of your grace to make me whole. Just say, Lord, would you forgive me right now? Would you save me right now? I'm like the woman at the well. I, man, I've fallen short and you offered her living water. You offered her salvation. Thank you for offering it to me today because of the new covenant of grace. Lord, strengthen our hands today. Strengthen our hearts. Let us ride the wave of your spirit as it rises up in us. Let us harness your strength. Thank you, Lord. So may you exchange your broken cistern for the fountain of living water. May you drink freely of the water of life without cost. May, may you stop going to the well over and over, which will never truly satisfy. And may Christ's river of living water spring up like a well inside of you and give you life. Amen. Have a great day today.